the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron and Ewan Levick. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. This episode, we'll be chatting with Tim Pickford, Director of Strategy and Business Development at Hanwha Defence Australia. And Tim's here to talk about automation and Hanwha's expanding presence in Australia. G'day, Tim. How are you doing? Good morning. And how are we all today? Not too bad. And of course, we're also joined as ever by Ewan Levick, publisher at ADM Group. Ewan, how are you doing today? I'm great, Grant. Thanks. Excellent. Well, to kick things off, I'm going to throw the door open for Ewan because I believe you wanted to ask the first question today. I do. Uh, Tim, Hanwha Defence Australia has described itself uh, and its beginnings as a secondary supply source for the Korean military. Can you talk to us a bit about that mindset? How did that come about um, and how does it influence HDA's business approach in Australia? Yeah, and look, that's a very good question um, to ask first up because it enables me to sort of give a background to the entire philosophical approach of our, of our business, both um, here in Australia and also regionally. So importantly, when I first joined the company, uh, Richard Cho and I had a look at what we thought were the unique value propositions for the company. And we soon realised that um, shared geostrategic uh, concerns and interests, uh, regional location, um, similar allies, uh, similar security concerns, but with a quite dramatic difference in terms of where each respective country was in terms of its uh, industrial development, its uh, defence industry development, we thought there were some really strong synergies and some big advantages to both companies in coming closer closer together. So the statement that uh, we want to become a secondary source of supply for the Korean Peninsula is not a hollow one. Um, we are currently building, or oh, will commence building uh, later this year, one of the largest facilities in this country um, and certainly the largest facility in this country for the manufacture of tracked armoured vehicle systems. We'll be doing that in the Geelong area and that will be the Hanwha Armoured Centre of Excellence. That will be plant number three for Hanwha Defence Corporation for the production of our uh, military platforms. What do I mean by that? Well, we have two major manufacturing plants in Changwon based in in Korea, which is the headquarters of our um, defence manufacturing. And this plant in Australia will be number three. It will be fully integrated into all those day-to-day processes in Korea. It will be given the opportunity to export directly from Australia, and not just vehicles, but components. Um, It will be given the opportunity to participate and will lead the R&D in a range of programs, in particular for uh, Redback and for the growing export potentials there. So we view that Korea-Australia relationship as a unique discriminator and a unique value proposition for our company that we can bring to Australia. Um, And we certainly intend to utilise the plant in HACE Uh, in Geelong for a growing set of overseas opportunities to include, and I think this is interesting, to include supply to the Republic of Korean Army. So we're about doing it, not just talking about it. You mentioned tracked vehicles and things like that, and I believe that you're working on uh, an uncrewed concept as part of this? 
Yeah, so you'd, you'd be aware that we uh, were successfully down-selected for uh, the self-propelled gun program here. Um, and, and even prior to that down-select, there are a group of us in the company thinking about um, what comes next. Uh, we were relatively confident that we would we would get that contract. So we were thinking about what comes next. So we thought about it. We looked at uh, current trends. Um, we saw what was occurring globally in terms of an imbalance in um, indirect fire support between a range of nations. Um, and interestingly, the recent uh, conflict in the Ukraine um, has validated those thought patterns about where we thought where we needed to go. Um, there was an interesting presentation at the ADM Congress by Army, by uh, Brigadier Ian Langford, that spoke to the problems of fire support. One of the interesting statements he made was um, some 80% of the logistics activities for the Ukrainian army was 155 millimeter um, self-propelled howitzer ammunition. So the fundamental thing we are doing with the, uh, with the AX-10 is attempting to solve that problem for army. How do we create from basically from the package, which the artillery ammunition is delivered in, all the way from package to gun? How do we achieve high levels of, um, of efficiency in that through automation and the application of robotics? Um, and we're working very, very closely with um, a few Australian companies, one of them being Eclipse, where Eclipse have a part of the problem how do you get it off the logistics vehicle, unpacked and into the back of the AX-10? And we're working on the problem of then how do you automate uh, fully the movement of those uh, of the ammunition in the AX-10 forward uh, to the firing positions? And what we want to do is maximise the emerging uh, battlefield connectivity and flow of data to ensure that each firing unit as it moves forward um, has a resupply vehicle, one or two tactical bounds behind. Doesn't have to tell it what to do, doesn't need to inform it of its location or anything. It's just automatically done. So the um, the digital systems on the vehicle will give an indication of race uh, usage rates of ammunition. Um, they will have recorded what their next uh, fire mission most likely is the nature of ammunition that they will be using, and all of that information will flow through to an automated system such that uh, whenever there's an opportunity in the battle for resupply, the vehicle will be there and it will be done without a formal request, without the requirement to have to set up uh, vulnerable uh, ammunition exchange points or logistics areas. It will just, uh, I hate to use this word, but it's probably appropriate here, um, seamlessly, it will just occur behind you. As you move forward, your logistics element will be with you. Um, and there's, I would say, most of the technology to enable that exists. It's a case of learning how to put it together, learning from real experience uh, to bring those technologies together and the integration of those, those systems and concepts. Um, and... The really important thing about this is we think there's a huge, a huge export market for this sort of know-how um, around the world. Tim, there's an interesting question there, which is um, the balance between 
autonomy um, or the difference, sorry, between an autonomous vehicle and an uncrewed system. My understanding is from what you've said is that this is going to be an autonomous vehicle. And if that's if that understanding is correct, what are the challenges involved in bringing an autonomous land resupply vehicle into the battle space, like a kinetic battlefield? So um, it's a question that's asked very, very often. Um, and the example is uh, when people look at, say, in the US, uh, trials that DARPA runs with uh, unmanned, um, unattended ground vehicles and the enormous difficulty they encounter in moving those vehicles cross-country as military tactical vehicles would do, let alone um, taking them through the streets of downtown Manhattan or New York or um, down your average uh, your average road, uh, suburban road. Um, however, there are some uh, fundamental and emerging technological applications that give you the opportunity to solve those complex problems iteratively. Uh, what I mean by that is, is it's not an overnight solution. It may take years for you to teach a certain vehicle or a certain system how to function and operate in, in an off-road environment. And one of the main things that's going to enable that to occur is machine learning and also data exchange, instantaneous or almost instantaneous data exchange. And that leads into uh, a range of our future opportunities and some of our um, emerging MOUs that we're moving through at the moment. So we're talking about creating the environment within which those vehicles can operate um, fully independently off-road um, and machine learning and low latency data exchange are two key things for that. And um, we've been really, really impressed with some of the, the, the machine learning that we've that we've witnessed. Um, and if you can now imagine um, the AX10 as a um, young trooper doing its uh, IET course and it's got to be trained, well, you know, we would take it out, we would whack the machine learning in there, we would get it to drive across some really, really demanding terrain similar to what it would uh, would appear on operations and get it to learn how to solve problems um, in an iterative fashion over and over again, refining it. So I, I think it's an interesting, um, uh, interesting viewpoint that we are now in some ways going to have to start treating our land platforms um, as systems that need to be trained and not just trained on. So we need to train the system and we need to train the soldiers that are using the system. And I think it's in that interaction between the trained uh, vehicle and the systems it uh, represents and the trained soldier who is you know, understands that intimately, will make the adjustments, etc., cetera, um, remotely when required. There may still be emerging instances where Complete, uh, complete uh, independent action by a platform is just not possible. You would need to take that into account and ensure that there can be human intervention there. But, yeah, I think we're on the cusp of training platforms and training people to man the platforms. So, Tim, you're training soldiers, you're training systems. Um, that means then you can't bring or it must be difficult to bring a fully autonomous vehicle in to the battlefield right at the get-go. There must be a path to autonomy for Hanwha, right? What does that look like? The important word in, in, in all of this is trust. 
you know, trusted autonomous systems. So how do you build that trust between the soldier uh, and the platform he's using and the technologies that he's going to be using? That's, that's essential. So we've got a staged approach, um, and we're working through that with a range of organisations, um, Army in particular, um, I can't talk too much about where we, we currently are, but we've got a series of proposals forward that will see us doing um, a range of activities to learn more about where we want to take this, this capability. And as I said, a fundamental part of that will be building trust, making sure that um, we utilise the existing understanding and technologies to the best of their level, so it might be a mix of manned and unmanned systems, um, probably a lot of uh, uh, operator intervention initially. But um, as the system progresses, it will learn. And again, machine learning is the powerful thing here, which enables both the man or woman and the equipment to learn together. Um, so there is an iterative uh, pathway. I Try not to use the terms um, manned, unmanned, autonomous, semi-autonomous, etc., um, because I think there are a set of terms that don't um, usefully describe from a human set of factors how the system functions and operates. It's nice from a technical perspective, but really this is about a learning experience. How do we bring technology and the human um, operated together and take them forward. It's about building building that uh, building that trust. And look, and it may be you and that um, our AX10 concept is um, you know with Army fairly quickly. Um, but it may be another two or three years before we fully realise that the the potential because both the human operator and the machine have got to learn how to function and operate. And there's also the issue of and we forget this Australian Army now has a new capability, self-propelled guns. And um, hats off to the Australian Army. It is now looking at uh, potentially first-of-type um, innovations with uh, sort of fully autonomous and roboticised um, supply chain systems, which, um, interestingly, the only other people in the world who've really investigated that um, are the Koreans, uh, hence how my Defence Australia working with the Australian Army? So we're hoping it might be a first of type, but it's going to be a it's going to be a learning process. Yeah, taking taking the AX10 from from primary school to high school in the next few years, and then maybe on to university after that. We'll see what happens. And clearly, that's going to lead to lots of opportunities in other markets. Uh, are you looking at that already? We are. Um, so the. The K9 user community is is significant. There are almost three thousand. If we if we take into account the Korean Army and potential exports that we're working through at the moment, you'd be aware of what's going on with Poland, what's going on with uh, with Egypt. Um, between those two uh, opportunities, there's nearly a thousand vehicles just in those two opportunities pulled together. And even though at the moment Manning may not be an issue for them. It will be very soon. Um, when you consider the rates of fire of these systems, you know, literally the tonnes of ammunition that they can fire in a single fire mission, um, the amount of movements required, they're going to churn through ammunition and churn through fuel and other things at rates not seen before. 
And again, we're seeing that in the Ukraine. So, yes, we think there's a, a tremendous opportunity uh, for what we're doing in Australia to go globally. And we've already started to brief the international user community on these uh, activities. So earlier this year, in I think it was in April, we had the international um, user community for canine gathering Korea. Um, we gave them a brief on our thinking, where we're taking things forward. Uh, there was a great deal of interest. But the other thing we also did is we gave an opportunity to Australian industry to participate in that. So universal motion simulators who uh, will form a part of the K9 and future fleets going forward, um, we gave them an opportunity to talk to an international user group. And the undertaking we have with UMS is that wherever there is an opportunity for their system, their universal driver system, um, to be integrated with one of our platforms globally, we will assist and support them taking that forward. And we have an MOU to that, and hence we invited them to the to the April briefing where they got the opportunity in, in one go to brief the entire world's user community of K9. That's, that's really good and lots of great opportunities there. So speaking of opportunities uh, and Hanwar technologies and so on, how does all of this fit in with the other technologies that Hanwar's producing, the other opportunities Hanwar's uh, investigating? Right, where do I start? <laughs> um, and that might be a, a, a trite response, but the depth, breadth and comprehensive nature of what Hanwar has to offer to Australia and to the world is, um, is quite staggering. Right out of left field, um, this is a really good example. I went to the Victorian Chamber of Commerce um, Awards dinner the other evening and was sitting next to a, a fellow who um, was um, a part of the Geelong Manufacturing Council. We were talking. I asked him what he did, and he was in the food manufacturing business, uh, specialising in beef and meat products. And I said to him, oh, did you know that um, Hamwa is the largest importer of Australian beef into Korea. And he looked at me quizzically and went, I thought you guys built tanks. <laughs> um, and I said, no, we build tanks and um, we're in construction and finance and, and we produce food and robotics and anything else you want to care to talk to me about that is, you know, that you need to build a modern um, livable city or or society, um, yeah, we probably do it. Um, so getting back to the point, though, of defence, there are enormous synergies within the company that we are currently exploring. One of those is Hamar Systems. Hamar Systems Corporation is a separate element to Hamar Defence Corporation, um, who's our parent company in Korea. Um, and we work very closely with both of those, especially Hamar Systems now, because that's where all of our expertise resides in um, systems, systems robotics, machine learning, etc. And uh, over the last three to four months, we've had some very senior staff from Hamar Systems come to Australia, sit down and explore in detail with, uh, with Deakin, um, with Eclipse, a good Australian company, um, what the opportunities are to bring um, the broader remit of Hamwar technology to Australia. And one, one of the important things about Hamwar and its approach to 
defense and defense equipment is um, necessity has meant that if you build it, it's got to work. You don't have years to develop it. You've got to develop it quickly in a timely fashion because if you don't, it's not useful for the defense of the Korean Peninsula. Bang. Don't give me something that's going to uh, – um, that's an idea, a thought bubble now that maybe in 10 years' time we might be able to take into service. That's not good enough. So they're very, very adept at taking um, reasonably complex um, military requirements, scanning across the company, where does the expertise lie, identifying that, pulling it together, and delivering um, a product that will work and work very, very quickly. And a really um, a really good example of that uh, is in um, some of the work we've done, and I'll refer to Redback as a global product, um, not in the context of what we're doing in Australia, but there was something that was developed uh, remarkably quickly, but on the basis of 20 or 30 years of in-depth and detailed experience in a range of technologies that, others have seen as innovative, but for Hamwa was standard practice um, because there's a lot that goes on on the Korean Peninsula in terms of military developments that uh, the rest of us do not know about and we're still learning. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a big organisation which in and of itself provides some challenges, but we, uh, we are moving forward. Tim, I know um, Hanwha's expanded in Australia through this MOU between Hanwha Systems, as you've just been talking about, and OneWeb, can you go into a bit more detail on that? I was hoping you'd ask that question <laughs> because um, it's a great example of uh, the depth, breadth, and scope of the company. Um, but it's also a really good example about um, Hanwha uh, and our forward thinking. So the AX10, um, you remember when we first talked about that on this interview, um, I was referring to the environment within which it's used. You need to make sure the environment and all the enabling systems are there. So um, our MOU with Hamar Systems Corporation and OneWeb is specifically around, and this is a term we're using in Hamar at the moment, is specifically around creating the battlefield internet of things. So what we're thinking through is that with the uh, very low levels of latency of um, low-Earth orbit satellites, with the emerging on-the-move satellite comms for both GEO and LEO systems, and the fact that the size of those things is, is really, really coming down, what we want to do is we want to match a ground-based constellation of our vehicle systems with a LEO constellation such that Across that area of operations, you have that connectivity that enables you to create a fully trusted, automated environment within which logistics can work seamlessly behind you, where your movement of um, systems and mission systems and ammunition and POL in support of your operations is there being done for you, directed by you and planned by you, but being done for you in support. You don't have to give it a lot of thought other than the occasional check and plan, but it's it's the real realisation of taking um, 
the digital battle space and actually making it work. And here's the good thing. The Koreans are already, are already engaged in a major way with the Korean army at looking at these sorts of concepts and moving them forward. So we plan to take all of that base work that's already been done and bring it to Australia through the Land 4140 program and working closely with OneWeb to uh, to realise that uh, that entire environment because it's a bit like um, a stealth fighter. Great concept. But if you do not have the enabling components of uh, ISTAR and everything else associated um, with that capability, there's really no point having a stealth fighter because if it wants to you know, do beyond visual range, it's got to go hot and bang, all of its advantages disappear. Um, that's why you know, when you talk about uh, that, it's it's so important to understand the entire working environment and support environment. And that's what we're doing. We're creating that entire working and support environment to enable this thing we call the Battlefield Internet of Things to come to fruition. And I think that's that's really, really exciting stuff if we can make that work and give the Australian Army the opportunity um, in concert with the Korean Army to start to develop that as a routine way of doing business. So uh, you've already mentioned a couple of MOUs. You're talking a lot about research and so on. Uh, are you able to give us an update on the, the other R&D partnerships that you're working on? Is there anything you can tell us about that's not super hush-hush? Yeah, abso- absolutely. And um, none of it's and, – and see, the, the extraordinary thing about R&D is uh, very rarely do you get a, uh, a, a transformational set of technologies. You know, everyone's looking for that, I think. But in actual fact, uh, quite often transformation is evolutionary um, when you bring a whole range of systems together, improve their level of performance, make them um, more reliable, and then create this battlefield internet of things, the data transfer around them to be able to take them forward. So driving all of that, of course, is um, energy, electrical power, batteries, really, really basic things. So Hamwire has some very, very advanced um, areas of research back in the peninsula in the areas of battery, battery technology. And what we have done is we are working with a range of local companies to support them to develop the next level of battery technology here in Australia. So um, we did a market survey a while ago, and we are now working with uh, with a battery company for the development of what we think would be the next generation of, uh, of batteries for armoured platforms um, that we uh, intend to introduce in some of our programs in Australia. And one of those is the, is the elephant in the room um, that you know, if we're successful, we will start to introduce that sort of technology um, into those vehicles. The other thing is um, you know, something as simple as welding. Um, I don't think we truly understand or respect the exotic art of welding high hardness armour and the thicknesses required. We just think our vision of a bloke or a girl dressed up welding is is what it's all about, and that's not the case at all. Um, it's one of the most demanding things to do well, and it's the thing that keeps our soldiers and people alive on operation. So we're working with uh, KTIG. Um, KTIG are an extraordinary little company. Um, they do a range of work um, in the US. So they are certified 
with the US Atomic Agency to do welding on uh, some of their facilities and storage facilities, which is quite extraordinary. So we're working with very, very closely with them at the moment to take a technology which, if successful, will enable us to um, significantly reduce time of weld, cost of weld, and enable us to achieve far higher levels of performance from that weld. And we're also investigating with them um, how we can do um, high hardness armour at, at quite uh, significant um, thicknesses and taking and taking that forward. And that's that's really exciting stuff because if we get that right, we want to work with KT to take that globally and that could be a game changer in something like shipbuilding in Korea, for instance, where you considerably reduce time and cost of uh, materials because it reduces the number of uh, passes, welding passes required to do a standard weld. So yeah, we're working. We're working with KTIC there. We have a a, a framework agreement with uh, with Deakin. That was our first and uh, and most important, I think, um, R and D agreement. Um, what what really impresses us about Deakin is a bunch of remarkably bright, smart people who know how to commercialize and know how to take wonderfully inventive thinking. And, and create an outcome. And you'd be aware of what they've done. Some of the stuff they've done is, is great. And we saw that and we went, ah, oh, they sound like a bunch of Koreans. Yeah, they get things done and there's outcomes. We want to work with those people. So um, we have a fairly close relationship with, with Deacon um, and we're looking at a range of other opportunities. And Eclipse uh, is a company that we're working at at the moment. And, again, um, Eclipse Eclipse do some really interesting things in terms of onboard systems, health use monitoring systems, et cetera, but also um, in the area of logistics. And we're working uh, closely with them on some uh, on some things at the moment that we want to take forward with them. And there are a few other things that we haven't made announcements about at the moment or um, or signed MOUs that we're working on that, uh, that will come to fruition. But I... I just need to make it clear that Hamar Defence Australia is not just about the two big programs that everyone associates us with. It's about far, far more than that. And the Hamar Armoured Vehicle Centre of Excellence that we're building in Geelong will have a systems integration lab. It will have one of the largest, if not the largest, um, EMI, EMC chambers in this country and will have an extensive uh, training and support facility and we've even thought through growth and we have set aside space for potential partners to come to Australia um, and set up and co-locate with us as we move forward. So A-Chase is not just about chasing two programs. It's about it's the basis of our expansion here in Australia. And the final thing I'll talk about on R&D is we are working hard to encourage key overseas um, leaders in their respective fields to come and set up in Australia. So when I first joined the company, one of my concerns was we would work closely with overseas companies, highly specialised in the areas of protection, electronic systems, active protection systems, etc. Not a lot of work was done in Australia. So um, one of the clear mandates that we had was to encourage those individuals to come to Australia to set up in Australia, to cooperate with uh, with local industry and grow new product here that could then 
be exported through their supply chains and also ours into the global community. And I'm we're being we're being successful there. We're kicking some goals. There'll be some um, some pretty key announcements and a bunch of things flowing out over the over the next six months. But um, we've managed to achieve that, and that's in no small part due to a great team member of ours, Millie Keating, and her industry development unit team who are working very, very hard to do that as part of building our industrial base, our relationships here in Australia with the Australian industrial community. Well, fantastic. Sounds like there's lots going on and there's even more yet to come out. So uh, lots to watch in the Hanwha Australia space. Uh, Hanwha Defence Australia doing some great things already and more to come. So thank you so much, Tim, for joining us and having this chat today. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Yeah, Grant Newen, thank you. Thank you very, very much. I apologise if I've you know, wax lyrical a little bit ah. too much, but look, um, I um, I like to build things. I like to create things, and Hamar is a fantastic place to be at the moment. We're still a relatively small company, and we're expanding rapidly. But uh, yeah, the most exciting time is yet to come. Fantastic. Well, of course, thanks to everyone for listening once again. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can follow this podcast in your favorite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. Meanwhile, thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. The ADM Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.